Welcome to Bell Curve with Mary Scott, Rachel, and Liz, three friends, three Southern Bells, joining you, smart women, to discuss life, work, relationships, business, everything from the nerdy to the normal, the practical to the philosophical, the head to the heart. Thanks for joining us as we observe, analyze, and often deviate from the standard. there. It is the middle of December, which means so many wonderful things. It's holiday season. Our homes are full of warmth and cheer. We spend time with loved ones. And in many Christian traditions, we celebrate Advent, preparing our hearts for the observant of, observance of Jesus's birth. But it's also a time of chaos and consternation. Every store has a sale going, vying for your attention, and a spot in your pocketbook. The pressure of finding the perfect gift can often turn into guilt or panic as the holidays come closer. And then at the end of the day, our homes often become full of stuff, decorations, presents, pine needles, wrapping paper. <laughs> there's, there's just a whole lot, no pun intended, or maybe this pun is intended, of just stuff wrapped up in this, this season. Welcome y'all to Bell Curve. I'm here, Elizabeth Shears, with my co-hosts, Rachel Breyers and Mary Scott Hunter. And today we're talking about ways we can keep the main thing the main thing in this Christmas holiday season. Y'all, I love presents. I really, really do. I love receiving a thoughtful presence, and I love giving presents when I found the perfect one. But almost two years ago, my husband and I moved into a much, much smaller home. We about cut our square footage in half and lost a huge basement garage. And we found ourselves what we call aspiring minimalists. We're not minimalists by any means, but we're, we're trying to cut down a lot, mostly just because I don't know if we could fit any more stuff in our house. And we've actually gotten, we worked really hard to, got, to get rid of tons and tons of stuff. So the thought of finishing up Christmas season with a boatload of gifts kind of makes me anxious. <laughs> So what I'd like to talk about today are some alternatives to traditional gifts that we can give our loved ones this Christmas and holiday season. First, I want to ask y'all, is is there a bit of a non-traditional gift or tradition that your family has done that really has meant a lot to you before? Oh, I think once you become a mom or parent, anything that your kids make, I mean, you know, that poor little sad lump of clay, you know, (laughs) but you, I just cannot, I obviously get rid of things that my kids make, you know, sometimes, but uh, I have a box in the, in our, in our storage closet of, of, of the lot of the things that they've made me. And I, those things mean a lot to me to this day. They still make gifts at Christmas time and ornaments and, you know, little things to hang and put up at Thanksgiving and for Mother's Day. And uh, I just, those mean so much. But the one that, the one that comes to mind that we mentioned every year was 2002 when John and I were both still in the Air Force and uh, we had been married at the very end of 2000 in December of 2000 and in 2001, we both spent a lot of time overseas in Korea and then getting back to the States and then deploying after the war started, the global war on terrorism in 2001. And, and in all of that coming and going, we weren't together, but maybe a month or two for the first, I don't know, 14 months of our marriage. It was just such a short time that we were actually together and my husband didn't get back until well into 
2002, after September 11th happened, he deployed and I got back first and I had, I put up my tree. uh, I got back right before Christmas. I put up my tree and I wasn't, I didn't exactly know when he was going to get back, but it wound up being March when he came home. But I left that Christmas tree up lit in the window until March. I was Aww. not going to take Mary it down Scott. until he came home. Wow. Oh, that's so that. sweet. And, and, and people, and I lived on a main road in Fayetteville, <laughs> North Carolina. And my, my church members started to mention it. And finally, it be, kind of became a thing. And we got to have Christmas together in March. And we still talk about that tree. It's our favorite tree we ever had. I love so many Obviously, things about that. Obviously, it was that. a fake tree. It wasn't, it wasn't a real one. I love that you let yourself have that social stigma of like people driving by being like, she needs to take that down. Tree down. <laughs> and I lit it up every night. I had it on a timer. I didn't care. I lit it up. I'm very glad that you did specify that it was a fake tree because that's a, that's a fire hazard at some point. <laughs> oh, it was a, it was a Walmart special and um i decorated as best i could as a young married couple you you know it's mostly tinsel and <laughs> but that. anyway but that, you know, that's really a tree we that, still talk about that symbolism of, there's so many songs like the yellow ribbon around the tree and you know leaving the lights on for somebody who's coming home i mean that just to me that really sparks that symbolism that comes with some of those military folks being overseas and coming back and christmas and i love that well i'll talk about a non-traditional gift that i gave pepper that really blew him away and it's going to hurt some Christmas lovers hearts. It's going to just, it's going to hurt. So let me give you that warning. <laughs> rip off that baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> a few years ago, it was coming up on time to decorate the house and do all the lights. And we, we really love to do that as a family. It's pretty important to us, but Pepper was in a season of just tremendous stress and he kept rescheduling and pushing back the date that we were going to go get the tree and, and do everything. And so I was kind of getting annoyed, but at the same time, I was looking at him and thinking, this poor man needs a break this Christmas, and he's not going to want me to hire someone to come do it. That's going to add to his stress, and he's he's not going to want me to do it (laughs) either. So I decided I'm just going to give him the gift of saying, all right, command decision. This year, we aren't decorating the outside of our house, and I'm not going to be sad about it. And if the kids act sad about it, I'm going to redirect their emotions like a mom ninja and make it funny. And we're just not going to let anybody be sad about that. And that's exactly what we did. And y'all, when I told him that I was giving him the gift of not having to decorate the outside of the house out of love and care for him and his stress level, he was so grateful. It was like the Aww. best Christmas present he had ever gotten just that year. And I and I knew it was just the best decision. And it, and it really was. So that's a non-traditional gift that sometimes you just got to let your family member off the hook of a major obligation that you just can't pull off that year. I love that. I love that. So mine actually has nothing to do with Christmas, but I'll tell it anyway. Uh, after my dad died, some friends of ours gave us a card with several gift cards in it, like to a really nice restaurant here in Birmingham, um, to a movie theater. There was some other like experience-based thing too, and with the in- explicit instructions to go out on a date night as soon as possible, as soon as we felt up to it. It was just such a thoughtful reminder that even as we were going through this stressful, grieving time in our lives, we needed to take some time to do something fun and nice as a couple. And that's just that's been a gift that has stuck with me as something that was just above and beyond and a little bit out of the ordinary at at a time when everybody was asking me, what can we do for you? They were just saying, here, here's something that you can do for yourselves that will, you know, 
kind of pull you out of the darkness right now. So I want to give a little disclaimer before we reform and move on. What I'm not trying to do is shame or sadden our curvies whose love language is gift giving. My dad's love language was gift giving and he would spend so much time and energy and thought, you know, thoughtfulness and money finding the perfect present for each of us and really reveled in seeing us happy on Christmas morning. What I do want to do is help us all think a little bit more creatively about how we spend our money, time, and attention this holiday season. I just finished reading a wonderful book by uh, the author Tish Harrison Warren. She is an Anglican priest, and she, she wrote about how we can turn ordinary times of our lives into times of faithfulness and thoughtfulness. And I, like, I, I finished that book on, I think, Friday. And then on Sunday in the New York Times, she had an article about Advent. And I had never heard of this, this author, this, this priest before. And then here she is showing up in my Twitter timeline uh, with an article about Advent, which is probably my favorite liturgical season of the church. And I wanted to quote a little bit from that article. I did not grow up observing Advent, or for that matter, knowing what it was. Like many Americans, my family began celebrating Christmas the day after Thanksgiving. Sidebar. Everybody starts <laughs> way earlier than that now, it seems. Anyway. When I started attending an Anglican church in my late 20s, Advent drew me in. With its quiet beauty and doleful hymns, this season made intuitive emotional sense to me. American culture insists that we run at breathless pace from sugar lace celebration to celebration. Three months of Christmas to the Super Bowl, Mardi Gras, Valentine's Day, Cinco de Mayo, Fourth of July, and so on. We suffer from a collective consumerist mania that demands we remain optimistic, shiny, happy, and having fun, fun, fun. But life isn't a Disney cruise. The tyranny of relentless mandatory celebration leaves us exhausted and often ironically feeling emptier. Many of, suffer, many of us suffer from holiday blues, and I wonder whether this phenomenon is made worse by the incessant, incessant demand for cheer, the collective lie that through enough work and positivity, we can perfect our lives in our world. And she goes on to, to talk about how in the church, Advent is this kind of dark, contemplative period that, go, that is a way of preparation for Christmas season, which is 12 days starting on December 25th. And I actually have friends who don't put up their Christmas tree until Christmas Day because they don't start celebrating Christmas until the 12 days of Christmas. Christmas. Yeah. yeah. We did that one um, year and it didn't go over well with the children. <laughs> <laughs> I think it would be hard to find a Christmas tree that still had its needles by that, that late. <laughs> oh, these little problems. <laughs> And I don't want to make this too much a conversation about, you know, the real meaning of Christmas, because I think Christmas has a lot of meanings. But, you know, while we talk about finding, keeping the real thing, the real thing this holiday season, and I think this can go for anybody of, of any religion, that we give gifts because we love, we should be giving gifts because we love people. We we spend our time and our attention and our treasure giving these gifts to people because we want them to know how much they mean to us. And I, I think there's something to the idea that, you know, it's not like my favorite Michael from the office said, <laughs> he has a great quote. He says, presents are the best way to show someone how much you care. It's like this tangible thing that you can point to and say, Hey man, I love you this many dollars worth. <laughs> and I just love that quote because <laughs> Sometimes we use gift giving, I think, to show people 
as kind of a shortcut to show people, I love you this many dollars worth, or look how many dollars I can spend on you. Mm. <laughs> and so, you know, so many things in my life have brought me to this point where I want to put a little bit more thought into how I show the people I love that I love them. And that I think that's a little bit more, it's a heavier lift in some ways. It's a little bit more of a contemplative practice. One of the, so James and I don't have kids yet, but we have several nieces and nephews. And one of the things that we've tried to do over the last year is think of ways that we can give them more meaningful Christmases because all of their parents complain about how much stuff they already have and how they don't need more toys or books or stuffed animals. Um, and I've stumbled across this, this concept. Tell me all if, if y'all have heard of this. It's something you want, something you need, something to wear and something to read. And so instead of when you're asking aunts and uncles and grandparents to, to give children gifts, instead of just saying, oh, we'll just go to Target and buy them a toy, say, well, give them something they want something they need, something to wear and something to read. And you choose one of those. And I just, I love that because I think it really hits four different types of emotional needs. Have y'all done ever done anything like that? I had heard about that idea several years ago. And what appealed to me, honestly, as a mother of five was the idea of numbers. And, and that, it, so that was kind of the way that I interpreted it was that mo- parents were saying to their own children, hey, we're going to buy you four gifts. And it's going to be in these categories. So think very carefully about what what you might want. And maybe the thing you wanted was very, very expensive. And so it, you know, it became less about the quantity as much as just the quality and having children think through and then and then have a thoughtful gift in the say the book category. I haven't yet done that where we've limited it to a certain number per child, but we're just getting to that stage, you know, where <laughs> almost every year around Thanksgiving. I get sort of that nagging familiar feeling of, oh, you are responsible for coming up with a magical Christmas for five children. I I, I have to push back on the anxiety that comes with that. I think every parent feels that. You remember your magical Christmases growing up. You want to replicate that. And somehow it always comes together. And so I think that the memories of those successes over the years have eased my anxiety. And now I just know it's going to come together. It's going to be magical. It's going to be wonderful. But there is an appeal to saying, let's kind of limit this. I think that having a good idea of whatever your left and right boundaries are on gift giving is really important to manage the stress of it and not to let it get away from you, especially when kids are involved. Because whether it's something to wear, something to read, something special, something you need, whether it's that or some other rubric, you have a kind of a, a way to let others participate, your fam- your extended family participate in your Christmas in a meaningful and helpful way, reduce your stress. So I think with a little bit of planning like that, using that rubric or some other system, I think you can reduce that inevitable stress that comes with having to create those that magic Christmas morning. And, you know, you can also do what Rachel and Pepper did a few years ago. And, you know, when your kids get to an age, especially as they get on into their teen years, you can just say to them, and I've said to my kids this year, it's, it's not going to be a big Christmas. We're going on a trip. And just kind of prepare them for that. There'll be some things for them to open and we'll have a great breakfast. But I think you 
I think some people might be surprised when you tell your kids, we're going to make it all about the trip and our family time and our breakfast that morning and let them participate in all those and all those the planning things for all those things and and maybe reduce the as I said before we started this show the shiitake mushrooms in your on your living room floor <laughs> on Christmas morning you know all that stuff uh, on Christmas morning you know may, maybe that's the gift that you can give yourself. Well, I think setting norms early on, like if you have young young children, <laughs> oh to go back and talk to myself when my kids were little little and just say like what Mary Scott's saying do some do some good deep thinking now with the end in mind of we're not going to be the family who just materialism is the whole point of Christmas we're gonna we're gonna have some thoughtful traditions that train them while they're little (laughs) I mean my sister does such a good job of, of this and she um, the, the kids don't expect tons of, they're, they're a missionary family. So it's very important to them to have very meaningful Christmases that aren't going to cost a lot. She has done such a good job of forming expectations when they were little so that they have a magical Christmas that doesn't cost a lot. And so I would just encourage anybody who's starting a family or has little children, you know, <laughs> think to yourself, what, what traditions and what expectations do I want to set for life with my kids? Because they, <laughs> they come to expect those things. No pressure. No pressure. And again, I, I really, you know, there are people who really love the gift giving and that part of Christmas. And, you know, if that's, if that's the tradition that you really love, I don't think that there's anything inherently wrong with that. But I think there is something also kind of countercultural about taking a step back and asking, what am I trying to show and do by having that particular tradition? And what are some other ways I can show and do those that same level of love and affection. Some other ideas I've heard for gifts that aren't physical things. So this is what some other ideas for giving non-physical things uh, as a gift as well. So what my husband and I are doing this year for our nieces and nephews in the, into the future is I had an uncle who, when I was growing up, would give us a savings bond every year. And so it's always been this really cool thing to know, oh, I've got these savings savings bonds tucked away that one day I'll be able to you know, cash in and have a little extra cash. Well, the problem is that savings bonds, by the time they're, they mature for over like 30 years, these ones do. And so by the time that they're mature, I think that $100 will be l- worth less than the $50 that he <laughs> invested in them to begin with. So uh, we've talked to their parents and we're going to start putting um, money into savings accounts in their names or in matching them to index funds so that they grow with the market more than you know a savings bond would. And then when they turn 18, they can use that to for their education, whether that's going to college or trade school or you know, some other type of training, or they can use it to you know, put a down payment on a car or, or however they see fit. And I think probably once they get old enough to where they really care of if they get a present or not, and they just don't think like, oh, great, James and, uh, <laughs> and Aunt Liz put money in my savings account. Woohoo! Of doing maybe half in the savings account and then half to them in you know in some other way. And then Mary Scott gave me the great idea of talking to them to their parents about opening up a five twenty nine in their names, which is a, a savings account tied to the market for education expenses. And that way, there's there's some guide rails on how that money can be used. 
And it's more than just a gift for right now. It's a gift for their future as well. Yeah, teaching them to save, teaching them to think about the future, teaching them to kind of prioritize. It's a That is a gift that keeps on giving, no doubt about it. And leaving them that legacy of, of investing and saving, that is such a gift. My granddad d- did exactly what you're describing for us growing up. My parents are doing that for our children. And like you said, they're not going to necessarily understand or appreciate at a young age, but they'll get it kind of quickly. I mean, they will. They'll start to understand the, uh, the principles that are at work, that somebody is thinking about money in a strategic way. And those are lessons that, that really matter. There's something very magical about compound interest. <laughs> magical. Some other non-physical item gifts that I found some great lists online for ideas is some things like for little kids, experiences like a trip to the zoo or, you know, Frozen 2 came out. And I know that's been the first uh, movie theater experience for like, I think all of my nieces. Um, (laughs) And you know, so maybe taking a, a, a trip to the movies to go see Frozen 2 with your, with your young nieces or nephews. For adults, a cooking or art class, a month of, of membership to their favorite spin studio or gym. Or, you know, if you have um, brothers and sisters with young kids, maybe babysitting for them so they can go out on an easy date night. Um, another idea for that could go for kids or adults is a membership to the art museum or the, the children's museum. You'll have a great one up there in Huntsville. And we, uh, we have a science museum in the McWayne Center here in Birmingham as well, or a membership to the zoo so that it's a, a gift that they can keep going back to. I mean, it, it doesn't cost a whole lot over the whole year, but they can use it for an entire year. And you know, it's a rainy day, rainy Saturday. Well, let's go to, to the children's museum and, and run around inside. <laughs> You know, I love this because what I'm trying to do this year, and so far so good, knock on wood, um, I'm trying to maximize the the traditions and the experiences and uh, that I love and that my family loves, but minimize or do away with the ones that aren't working anymore. And I, one, you know, I love, we talked about Advent. I love all the music, the religious and the secular, the cooking and the baking, the the decorations sort of, that's one I want to talk about in a second, but I really love seeing all the lights. So going for a ride with your family, but in the theme of what you were just talking about experiences, my best friend, Amy and I take our whole families out, our kids, everybody, all her two, my three, and we go out to a white napkin white dinner napkin you know white tablecloth type restaurant once a year at christmas time and kids don't get that experience but it's a dress up kind of thing you wear your holiday attire and the the dads and the and the sons wear their jackets and you know you get your big scarves and your you know sparkly stuff out and we go before christmas and this year we're going to go to luciano's and and huntsville which is a great restaurant and the kids get that experience Experience of eating at a really nice restaurant. Now, that's not something that we can afford to do. You know, really, we would just like to do that once a year because it's, you know, that's an expense, but it's been such a great tradition and it's taught them how to handle that kind of a, uh, you know, how to handle that. And we want them to know how to go out to a nice restaurant and put your napkin in your lap and use the right fork and not spill your water and you know, all that. So, um, 
I don't know. It's just been such a, a great tradition. I love it so much. And it's what we give each other for Christmas every year, pretty much. We do small gifts, too, but that's our big gift to each other. And in the theme of minimizing traditions that no longer spark any joy, I'm going to mention Gretchen Rubin's book, Outer Order, Intercom. We did Gretchen Rubin's book, The Happiness Project, a few episodes ago. But and but Outer Order, Intercom is one I also ordered and read. Um, and I... <laughs> I decided this year to organize my decorations and get some help getting them up. So I hired some help to get them. I still did it myself and the kids helped. John was traveling, but that whole getting all the decorations up and then back down again is such a stressful Christmas time experience that I, I just thought, you know, this year I have a budget for Christmas. I can spend a little money on, on that piece that just, it's no fun anymore. I think that's a, a great reminder that you said the spark joy thing, the KonMari method that kind of took the world by storm a couple of years ago of holding something literally or metaphorically and asking yourself, does this thing spark joy? Does this tradition or this physical item or this, you know, even this, this noodle maker, this noodle maker, <laughs> Why do I have this noodle maker? Uh, joy. No, I never make noodles. Oh, see, and I love to make noodles. Yeah, I think for me, I've definitely assessed over the years what tr- tradition that maybe everybody else is doing just doesn't spark joy for me. And I'll just I'll mention two. One of them is the 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 FOMO feeling of missing out on a deal. And so you're going to, you know, wake up early on Black Friday and you're going to scour the Internet on Cyber Monday and, you know, just go nuts and drive yourself crazy trying to get that best deal. I gave myself permission a few years ago just to say I'm not going to get the best deal, but keeping myself anxiety free, keeping myself in a state of peace has been really, really important to me. And I know a lot of people have a lot of fun with that, you know, getting the Coles bucks and like, there's like a lot of fun in feeling like you got a really good deal. And so there's nothing wrong with that. It's just for me who tends to, if I go down that path of couponing and looking for the best deal, there's no end to it for me. I get, I I sort of like feel like I have to get the best deal or I'm going to be upset. I would rather just spend a little bit more. So that's just for me. And then the other tradition that doesn't spark joy for me is kind of the opposite of what Mary Scott did, leaving her Christmas tree up until March. (laughs) I'm the opposite where truly when it gets to be Christmas, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. That, that's the culmination. We have had a good time. We have enjoyed. But I tell you, I start itching to clean up and take the tree to the curb on Christmas Day. And I, and I know that sounds very Grinch-like of me, but I do obviously leave it up Christmas Day. But the next day, I start I start cleaning up and I put the Christmas things away. And it's really for me, it's mental. I like to start New Year's Day with a fresh slate and fresh house, cleaned up, ready to go. Because to me, almost even more than Christmas, I enjoy, I enjoy New Year's. I like to start fresh and make my goals, my resolutions, and get going on the new year without any residual uh, tinsel hanging around the house. So those are two traditions that don't necessarily spark joy for me. And I've given myself a lot of permission to let go of those. 
You know, I think the point for our curvies out there is that whatever it is, there's no shame in doing it and there's no shame in not doing it. And whatever it is, whether it's you're overwhelmed by the decorations or overwhelmed by the gifts or overwhelmed by just everything, you can you can ratchet back or you can ramp it up. Whatever is, you know, the, the Christmas season can be what you need it to be if you keep the main thing the main thing. Y'all, can you believe that this is our 30th episode? Three Yay, years. yes! Yay, we did not pod fade. Yes! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> that being said, we're actually taking the rest of December off to enjoy the holiday season with our families as we travel and try to spend some downtime with our families and friends. We will be back bright and early in the beginning of January to kick off the new year. And... As my Christmas present to both of you, the Patreon is set up. <gasps> what? <Yay>! <laughs> oh my goodness, that is a true surprise. I had no idea you were going to say that. <laughs> That's awesome. You'll be hearing more about uh, Patreon in the new year, but I just wanted to give a little teaser there. It's a wonderful gift uh, to be able to use Patreon to support the other podcasts that I listen to. But to wrap it up for this holiday season for 2019, what are some some um, things that Bell Curve has meant to y'all over the last six months? Oh, I have to say that the times when I've been approached in the grocery store, or at church, or in places where I didn't expect to find a listener, and they said, Oh, that episode with Vicki Gazelle Shop, I just really needed that at that moment. Or the Gretchen Rubin Happiness Project, I ordered the book and it's it's really helped me and changed my life. And, you know, these are really meaningful moments and they mean so much to me personally and I know to y'all. And I'm I'm really just so grateful that we have listeners that are downloading and listening and sending us feedback and just keeping us going because it is hard. It's a hard, it's been a hard thing to do. It's hard to organize and hard to put together and hard to find the time and everybody's busy, but, um, but it's been so worthwhile and so meaningful. And it's, it's just, it's meant a lot to me to have our listeners be just so engaged with us and y'all, you too, my, my fellow bell, bell curve creators, Liz and Rachel, y'all mean the world to me. Oh, man, I just I echo absolutely everything you said, the, the wonderful feeling of knowing that people value this, that, that they come here and, and find something valuable to them. And like you said, Mary Scott, unexpected people coming up and saying that they listen. This has become such a fulfilling part of my life. And so I thank everyone who's listening for letting us do this with you. Thank you for being part of our community. And, you know, I've gained two of the best friends I could possibly ask for in Mary Scott and Liz. I've learned so much, not just in the technical world of podcasting and audio, but from you, our amazing community, from my co-hosts, my heart is filled with gratitude as well. And on a personal note, I just want to share that when we first got started, when we made the decision to be our real selves on this show, to be very authentic, even when everything inside of us was screaming to self-protect, I didn't know then how truly difficult that would actually be, but... On the other side of all of these episodes where that's what we strive to do, I want to encourage others who may be out there wanting to be authentic, wanting to put your heart and your soul into your art form, whatever that is, but just feeling scared of vulnerability. I'm here to tell you that it is worth it. And really the worst that could happen is that someone won't like you or your art form, but I'm here to bet that they actually will. 
So please take that into the new year as encouragement and inspiration to go and do what you love to do and be authentic. Oh, y'all are going to make me cry. (laughs) (laughs) I want to echo what both of y'all have said. And then also just say, you know, as, as the young one of the group or as the youngest of the group, we're all pretty young. I just have, y'all have offered so much wisdom into my life not just the two of you, but to our listeners who give us feedback. It's just been such a hugely enriching part of life over the last six months. And I I can't wait to bring that into, or to continue that into 2020. Thank you so much for listening to Bell Curve. We are so thankful for your listenership and so excited about where we're going in 2020. We hope you'll rejoin us in January. Uh, You can find us at bellcurvepodcast.com. And if you have any thoughts or ideas that you want us to uh, consider, consider putting in there on our our social media or send us an email at bellcurvepodcast at gmail.com. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Thank you so much for tuning in. We will see you next year.